What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita. We're live right now for those who are uh, not working or just hanging out on social media on a Wednesday afternoon. It's about 2.20 Central Time right now, and I'm joined by Albert Destrade. We'll get to him in a second, but if you guys like what you watch or listen to today, please subscribe to the Jack Vita Show. We had a really fun time last week. And on my website, jackvita.com, we're running a sports movie bracket. 128 movies. We're down now at the end of this week. We'll be down with 32, round of 32 coming up next week. Uh, A lot of fun with the voting on there. So check that out. I've been writing a lot at jackvita.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Had a fun time uh, recapping the trade deadline last week. And today, we're not going to waste any more time because we have an awesome guest Returning to the show, uh, former Survivor failure, and <laughs> now he's a podcast host, Albert Destrade, also a college coach. Sorry, I hope I didn't hurt your feelings, Albert. No, no, no. I love it. I love it. I love it. I always like to remind myself, oh, you're right. I did I did suck at that program. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, great to have you back here. Uh, you're a big baseball guy. You coached and you played in college. And you've now been on this. This is the fourth time you've been on. And, you know, it's crazy, Albert. You wish me a happy birthday right as we got going here. I turned 27 the other day. And when it's my birthday, I always like to reflect on the past year. And I was like, man, you know what? This last year, God was really good. I met a lot of really cool people through doing this podcast. I was like, I feel like I've known Albert longer than I have. But, you know, I just met you. It was only like 10 months ago. I feel like we yeah. go back. Yeah, you're right. That's actually a really good point. I feel like we've been kind of. Uh, I remember, like, I posted something on ba- on Twitter about baseball, and you're like, "Hey, man, if you like baseball, we should talk." And we got <laughs> to like just chatting about baseball stuff. And I've been on. Obviously, uh, you've you've had me on the show a couple times, and had a lot of fun. Just you know, kind of bonding with you, man. Just becoming pals and and sharing our mutual love for you know baseball and other sports, Survivor, other um, you know mutual interests. But yeah, it is funny how. Uh, in the midst of, you know, the tumultuous 2020. Now we're almost through this year and things are hopefully getting better, man. And uh, God brings good things to our lives, you know? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So thankful for all that God has provided for me over the last year. It's been a lot of fun with this program. And Albert, it's just, yeah, it's great to have you back here once again. Good to be back, man. Excited to talk a little baseball. Let's do it. So, Albert, before we do the baseball thing, I got to ask, have you been following the sports movie bracket? Well, I think when you first posted it, I looked at that list, Jack, and I told you, I was like, oh, these are going to be some heavy contenders. Uh, I've tracked a little bit of your results so far. I have my own personal uh, favorites in that world. Um, I'm curious to see how your viewership might um, vote or decide on what happens because, let's face it, I might be a little bit older. I'm 36. <laughs> so maybe some of my favorites are, might be a little bit um, you know, out of it. I'll tell you, I think one of I think my favorite movie in that bracket, I think is one of my favorite movies of all time is Bull Durham. I actually, oh. funny enough, if you go on my, on my, uh, my old survivor, uh, CBS, um, you know, questionnaire, they used, they used to ask you all these questions say like, who's your, like, what is your most memorable moment of your life to this point? Or who's like your most inspirational person. And, um, I forget what the exact phrase of the question was, but one of the questions was, um, I, I think it was, who's your hero or something like that. And I ended up citing Crash Davis from Bull Durham. 
I was like, because he's a grinder, he's got a full of wisdom. I just always loved Kevin Costner's turn as Crash Davis. Always thought he was just like a really, he represented like that everyman, you know what I'm saying? Like that guy who like, is it really like nobody knows who he is, but he's like kind of like sort of an important figure and uh, and how he just always like tries to instruct, you know, the whole relationship with him and um, Nuclear Lucian, the film is great. So yeah, definitely Bull Durham's my, you know, my pick to win it. And uh, I'm curious to see how it all turns out. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because my nickname growing up was actually Crash. I was nicknamed Crash in fourth grade baseball. It stuck throughout all my sports career, which ended in high school. I didn't play really at a very high level. I didn't play in high school, actually. Um, But uh, (laughs) I was always Crash. And then I mentioned it to Jordan Morandini at some point in college. And then intramural softball, I became Crash once again. So Love that. Love that. Crash Davis, man. Got to (laughs) represent Um, but you know, it's funny. I think that's interesting because I feel like that might be a generational disconnect. I saw Bull Durham once and I didn't really, I honestly didn't really get it. I thought it was fine. I just didn't think it was great. Um, I think, I think that happens sometimes. Like, you know, funny enough, one of your top seeds in your bracket, I had the same experience with, which is, um, Hoosiers. I, I actually had never seen Hoosiers until like, I don't know, maybe a year ago which is like wild, right? I had like these yeah. like omissions and it's always been like Hoosiers. It's like up there when the Pantheon and I kind of like felt like how you felt about Bull Durham. I was like, it's a good movie and it's, it's got some interesting things, but I think like I didn't feel that like, wow, that I was like, maybe I just, my hype and my expectations for Hoosiers were so high that I just didn't, you know, when I ended up seeing it, it didn't, uh, it didn't click as much for me, but um, yeah, Bull Durham's no, Bull Durham's like, me and my uh, my co-host from from you know my podcast, which I you know I know you know a little bit about, it's called Stop Light to Ask. Uh, my best friend Brandon Shaw. I remember him having several heated debates with girls he was dating because he adamantly insisted that if they had a boy, the middle name of that son was going to be Crash. <laughs> like seriously, he's like we're we're naming him whatever. Or actually, at first we wanted to be Crash Jordan. Shaw is what he wanted to name his son. And then he's like, all right, I'll, I'll settle on the middle name. But he was like dead set on naming his son Crash. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, the one movie I will say, and then we'll move to baseball. Uh, I'm a big Friday Night Lights guy. I absolutely love that movie. I think it's fantastic. And it was on the ropes the other day. And I may have uh, engaged in a little bit of election integrity fraud Ooh, here. Tampering. We're tampering here. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't uh, stuff the ballots. I didn't do anything bad. Ooh, Babu Bot waving the finger at me. Babu Bot, man, it's bad news right there. (laughs) All I did was I just was like, "All right, people on Twitter, vote for Friday Night Lights." I gave an endorsement, and it it came through. So it it ended up beating We Are Marshall. So I'll tell you this about Friday Night Lights. I liked the film. I love the show. The Mm. the the televised show with um um I I forget his name. He's a great actor in the lead as the coach, I think, I think the, the Friday Night Lights show to me is like great. Tim Riggins, all that is just so, so good. The movie I thought was good. I like the booby miles. I like the whole, like, um, you know, so some of the side characters are great in that film, but um, yeah, I think I've always been a little bit uh, partial to the show over the movie. The movie's still pretty solid though. Amen. Amen. I mean, I gotta, I gotta watch the show. I haven't yet. I'm you haven't go- seen the show. I don't watch long-running serial shows. Oh man! But I'm telling you, if you like if you like Friday Night Lights the movie, you'll love the show. The show I'm, is unreal. 
I heard it's great. It's a top 10 show for me all the time. Seriously. Are you a Nashville fan too? Because that was another one of those. I haven't. No, I've never seen. I haven't not much of that. Yeah. All right. Well, Albert, we only have about a half hour here, so let's talk some baseball. And I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote Talking Jake from the Talking Baseball podcast. Baseball is hot in the streets right now. It is just, it's been a phenomenal product this year. We had an amazing trade deadline. The Cubs just sold off their entire team. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts right now? What, what are you thinking about right now, Albert? I know there's a lot of anger towards management, a lot of anger towards uh, Mr. Hoyer. It's, it doesn't help when you trade three, uh, arguably your three biggest offensive pieces in the last, you know, decade plus, and their first game, all three homer for their new teams, right? <laughs> you got Rizzo with the Yankees, you got Chris Bryant homering, um, you know, you got Javi Baez doing it, stink for the Mets. Um, they're interesting. They're, the Cubs situation was surprising to me. I think I was very um, big on the Cubs as they were ascending in like the, you know, the middle of the tens decade, uh, when I saw the pieces they had together, Jake Arrieta started to figure it out. They had these young guys coming up. Chris Bryant had – this is like, you know, when Chris Bryant was still being held back, you could tell he was, like, ready to play in the big leagues. Um, I just looked at a lot of those pieces. I always thought Anthony Rizzo was a fantastic player uh, for many reasons. Um, people forget they had other pieces at the time that were really effective players. You know, they had uh, – Ben Zobris was, like, you know, what a polished and established hitter. Um, they had um, – Addison Russell, man, that guy Addison fell off a cliff. Right. I thought he was going to be a superstar. So Addison Russell was um, a big piece they landed from Oakland in the Lester deal, if I'm not mistaken, in like 2013 or 14. It was uh, Jeff Samarja. But. Or Samarja, Samarja, yeah. yeah. And everyone, Addison Russell was like all world. He was like the guy, um, you know, that was supposed to be, you know, he was, I think a lot of people thought he might have been better than Baez coming up. And, uh, you know, so they had just so many pieces in place, young Wilson Contreras coming up. Um, then they went and made that splash and signed Jason Hayward after a great year with the Cardinals. You know, everything seemed to be lining up for the for the Cubs. And they fell just short the year before they won the World Series. And they won the World Series. And in my head, I was like, this team's going to be a dynasty. I mean, this is going to be, you know, a seven to ten year run of just, you know, championship type contending teams. Um, they're, they're what I think is supposed to be a big market, right? I look at Chicago as this is a big market. Um, it's a team that's always drawn well, right? It's a team that's always had a pretty good uh, television deal with uh, WGN and their whole thing. So um, the way this whole thing has happened to me from the outside has been pretty surprising um, that they ended up going from um, that teetering. You, you know, you heard you heard rumors last year, right, where they were like, we're going to trade Brian, we're going to trade Wilson Contreras. Are they going to, they're not going to resign these guys. Um, and then it didn't really become real until they had that, I think it was an 11-game losing streak here at the beginning of July, um, and then all of a sudden 12. it's just like – Or 12-game streak. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden it's just like bang, 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 and one name out, out the other. I thought it was really interesting because I think teams are really intelligent this deadline about going all in or going all out. I think the worst thing you can do in baseball is be in that middle ground – where you're kind of competing. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll cover my Braves in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like, you know, when you go and get these mid-tier guys or make a move or two, but don't fully, you have one foot in, one foot out, I think that's when you get in trouble. Um, if anything I'll say on the Cubs' behalf is at least they're fully like, okay, we are selling. And I think that they sold in a way that's 
not what the Marlins did two or three years ago, where they're just like, let's get rid of Stanton's money now. Let's get rid of Yelich because he's angry. They actually, I think, are going to get some assets back for some players that they were just expiring contracts, right? You know, Stanton Stan was still under contract. Yelich was still under contract. They were just, they were, they were, that to me is a fire sale. This to me is a, a reset button, right? You have expiring contracts you're not going to sign and you're trying to accumulate assets back for them. It's puzzling that the ownership group has not given them more financial backing, but I guess that's the business of baseball. I don't understand that. So I would actually, I would push back against that, Albert, because I think that they've had a ton of money. They've been right there at the top of the NL. As they should be. As they should be. And I think, I think part of it is like Jed Hoyer just went on uh, Cap and Hood, a local radio show here, and he talked about, look, it's a two-way street. We tried to extend these guys, and I think what it ended up coming down to is that I think Javi and I think Rizzo both think they're worth more than the Cubs think those guys are worth. And I actually I align more with what the Cubs' value of the and their assessment of those guys are because – It'll be interesting to see what it's. This is a great thing about open markets and free markets. You go out there and you get paid what you think you're worth and whoever's willing to pay you the most money. But I mean, Javi Baez, you're looking at a guy right now whose defense has significantly declined over the last couple of years. He was one of the highest in terms of defensive run saves two years ago. Right now, he's right around one or maybe zero. He's about an average defensive shortstop this season. His offense, he leads the league in strikeouts. He's got a 280 OBP. And then with Rizzo, it's a guy that's in his mid-30s who's had back problems. And his his uh you got you gotta pay these guys for what you think they're worth over the next five years, not for what they were worth for the last five years. So I think the Cubs with those two guys, it's just like they're not seeing eye to eye. I get that. So you so you move on from them. And then with uh Chris Bryant, he's a squat, he's a Scott Boris guy, and Scott Boris doesn't do extensions. Right. Yeah, I think you I think you're very accurate with a lot of your points there. To summarize, baseball's gotten more efficient overall as an industry of paying for not paying for past performance but paying for future performance, right? Your points with those three players are very well noted. Um, a counter I would give you is I think Rizzo if you look at Anthony Rizzo's contract last decade, it's him and Ozzy Albies arguably have and Christian Yelich actually are three of the most team-friendly deals in baseball, if not in all sports. Anthony Rizzo has been grossly over underpaid to this point and has been a centerpiece to that team. And I think sometimes these teams do give, I don't want to call them sentimental deals, but kind of like almost like a what Derek Jeter happened at the end of his career, right? When Derek Jeter was getting like $25 million a year at age 38 when he wasn't worth $25 million a year, but he's Derek Jeter, right? He's marketable. He's you know, been a face of a franchise type guy. So um, from Rizzo's standpoint, I think since he was so underpaid, I would understand him wanting a little bit more money. I agree that Baez is somebody that for me, if I was in an executive position, would be very, very difficult to invest a lot of money because not only is it just a polarizing player, but he's very, very, he's, man, when he's good, he's really good. But when he's bad, he's really bad. Um, you know, two years ago, he was in the MVP conversation. And then for parts of last year, he looked like he was lost to play. I mean, right now, a 280 on base. Yes, he's going to lead the league in strikeouts. That's fine. But, dude, you can't you can't have a 280 on base and be a feature offensive player. And, yes, he makes the spectacular play on defense. But he's not. There's so many more advanced metrics to, to 
evaluate defenders that I think he becomes exposed as somebody who isn't as consistent and isn't as a elite defender as he likes to be sold. And yes, obviously Chris Bryant, another guy who I think is going to battle the injury bug throughout his career. When Chris Bryant came up, I'm like, this guy is like, man, this is the dude right here, right? He had, he was a, he was a world series. Uh, I'm sorry. He was a world series hero. He was an MVP. He was a rookie of the year. Um, he was everything you could want, but I think his last couple of years haven't been as good. He had a really big, uh, really down year last year in 2020. He started off really hot this year and then kind of tailed off a little bit. So I'm curious to see what the market will be for these three guys, like you mentioned. Um, I do think they are not going to make as much money as they seems like they wanted to, but um, it's going to be interesting. I could see Rizzo being a guy who gets maybe a shorter-term deal. I could see uh, Bryant probably getting the biggest of the three, obviously. Uh, bias is going to be the biggest question mark, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's also very telling to, to see how the response Anthony Rizzo talked about yesterday, he called it like a bad breakup. He's he's not very happy with the Cubs' front office. On the other end of things, Chris Bryant was very – he was praising the front office and saying he loved the way he said – they accommodated all these guys. He said they put Rizzo in New York. Rizzo's got family there. It's not going to be foreign territory for him. Javi wanted to go play with Francisco Lindor. They made that happen. Chris is from the West Coast. They sent him out there. Craig Kimbrell, his daughter has a heart, uh, heart condition, and they're able to keep him in Chicago so he wouldn't have to leave his kid or have her have his kid find a new doctor. Um, so I think that tells you a lot as to how – Rizzo's feeling about this versus how KB is feeling about this. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. That's, that's, that's actually unbelievably cool that they were that accommodating and think to that level. Um, I think Rizzo made a lot of sense in the Yankees lineup. I think they needed a left-handed bat who gets on base, um, who provides some stability, who plays every day. That's a team that's known for what? Injuries. And Anthony Rizzo has been a guy who's been known for playing every day. The guy plays hurt. The guy leads the league and like hit by pitches every year, still shows up and plays every game. Um, I think he makes sense in that team. The Giants, I was I was happy to see them go out and get Kirst Bryan to make a move because, man, they played really well this year. Gabe Kapler and his staff and what they've done to rejuvenate Evan Longoria's, Buster Posey's, Brandon Crawford. I mean, I saw a breakdown of what, what that group of hitting coaches, because they, they don't do one hitting coach anymore. Now it's like it's like a team. Yeah, what they've done to rejuvenate Brandon Crawford is like been pretty remarkable. Um, So I think adding Bryant tells the rest of that clubhouse that like, hey, we're here to compete with the big boys. We're here to compete with the Dodgers and that slew of superstars they have and the Padres and their young energy and um, aggressive, you know, uh, style as well. So that division and and I think the way that the Cubs former assets are being dispersed um, is going to really I think it's going to really. Uh, determine a lot of the way the National League will come down to and even obviously the, the American League East with Rizzo coming in. Yeah, I watched the Giants game on Sunday and I was looking at KB in that Giants uniform and I'm like, man, it just works for him. He looks good in that uniform. But then I was like, you know, as an entirely straight male, I'm like, that guy would look good in any uniform. It's Chris <laughs> Bryant. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Chris Bryant is uh, yeah, he's, he's a dreamboat. Let's just let's call a spade a spade. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, so you mentioned, well, I guess I'll, we'll talk Braves in a second, but I did write a piece if people are interested to see, I did a full write up on what the Cubs got back in all these trades, including the U Darvish trade and what 
all these guys are looking like. And I like what the Cubs did. I especially love the Kimbrel trade where they brought in Nick Madrigal. They're going an entirely yeah. opposite direction now, contact hitting. They were obsessed with power bats. You have a double play combo for the next five years plus of Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal. Um, so I, I thought the Cubs did a, a really good job. And especially a lot of people are pointing their finger at the at the Chris Bryant trade and saying, well, they didn't get a top five prospect. I just want to note that these prospect rankings only come out once a year and they're extremely subjective and they change very rapidly from year to year. So the number 30 prospect that the Cubs got who people are like, Oh, they got a number 30 prospect from the giants or they're the giants 30th overall prospect, Caleb Killian. He was a, I think an eighth round pick from Texas tech a couple of years ago. He's excelled at every single level of the minor leagues. He's a pitcher. He throws hard. He's got a 210 ERA in double A right now. He's on track. It looks like if he if he stays on this track, he's going to be much higher on those prospect rankings come uh, February of next year and also could be pitching at Wrigley a year from now. So, Yeah, no, excellent point about the uh, the prospect rankings. I forget who I was looking at. I think it was either Jackson Coe or Shane Baz. Um, but I forgot one of those two was complete, like not didn't make the top 50 prospect list or something. And then uh, somebody made a really interesting post on Twitter about it where they they hadn't even recognized that he had added a third pitch, whichever one of the two guys was. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been Baz. And um, saying like, yeah, they didn't even recognize him having this pitch, and that's been his best, most effective pitch this year. So, yeah, sometimes those rankings aren't super um, – effective or updated um i love the nick madrigal addition i think he's uh before he tore his hamstring this year i think he was really starting to come to his own i think he's listen when you're a five foot six right-handed hitter who gets drafted in the top 10 usually you're gonna be pretty good you know in major league baseball like guys like him and dustin pedroia and that mold listen that that tells me that you know those type of guys play man those type of guys are generally very effective everyone loves the six foot four guy who throws 95 or the six foot, you know, three left-handed hitter who looks like Jordan Alvarez. But when you have a scrappy player like that, who puts up those type of contact statistics, I think those are, I think that's a winning baseball. And I think Nick Madrigal is a winning baseball player. Um, it's unfortunate that he got injured the way he did this year to end the season, but um, he's, he's a really, really, he's a, he's a, he's a winning baseball player. He's a kind of player that wins you a lot of games. Um, and I, I like his addition. I, I like what they're doing with, um, um, yeah, just bringing in that those young that young energy man and kind of rebuilding their model. And they're saying this wasn't working for us for whatever reason. That group they had didn't win for the last couple of years for them. So you know, time to hit the reset button. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk some Braves here, and then we'll move into some other baseball stuff. And we only have so much time. But yeah, you're a big Braves fan, and I picked the Braves to win the World Series this year. They've been. They had everything that could have gone wrong in the first half went wrong. Everything. All those players they lost, they lost the all-star game. Everything that could have been gone that could have gone wrong did. And yet here we are on August 4th, and they're just two and a half games out of first place. They end up shopping in the discount bin at the deadline and just picking up some guys. Now they did trade Braves postseason legend Bryce Wilson, who you and I both love uh, Bryce Wilson's gone, but they picked up, they, they entirely remade their outfield. And I, I like what they did because they see an opportunity here where it's not going to be too hard to win the division for the fourth straight year to keep that wind in your back, to keep this thing going over the next couple of years, potentially. 
And if you look at the the structure of the National League this year, you have the three three of the four top teams all play in the same division. And only one of the way that this playoff is set up, only one of them can get to the NLCS. So you get in and you, you can play, you beat the Brewers three out of five. And now you got a puncher's chance at the, at winning the NLCS. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny. We're just talking Cubs and one of the first, uh, I think the first major deal that went down was the Braves Cubs trade where the Braves added Jock Peterson, uh, in exchange for Bryce Ball, who, by the way, is uh, another guy who doesn't show up highly ranked on a lot of prospect lists, but I loved him. He was actually my favorite, uh, other than Michael Harris, uh, he was my favorite position player prospect in the Braves organization. Huge left-handed bat, six foot six guy. That's not down. counting Pache, is it? No, I like him more than Pache. I like him more. Wow. Than I like him more than Drew Waters and Christian Pache. I'll go on wow. and say that. Um, big lefty bat from Dallas Baptist, who was like a uh, mid-teens draft pick. Uh, big plate discipline guy. Was off to a little bit of a rough start this year playing high A. Um, but, dude, light tower power. Um, I loved him. I, I thought that I actually – part of the reason I, I didn't love the original Marcelo Zuna signing is I thought it blocked Bryce Ball because um, I thought with the DH probably coming to the National League in 2021 beyond, I thought he fit perfectly as our D, uh, DH moving forward, assuming that we re-signed Freddie Freeman. Um, but I think the Cubs actually stole a really nice player there for and, and Bryce Ball that you might be hearing from. Um, but anyway, yeah, the Braves, um, the Braves made an interesting series of moves. Offensively, our, the outfield had been decimated via injuries. Obviously, Marcel Zuna broke his hand and then had a domestic violence incident. Uh, Christian Pache had early season struggles. I still think he has a lot of development to do in order to make himself um, an off- offensively capable major league outfielder. And then I was actually – at the Marlins Stadium when Ronald Acuna tore his ACL oh. in the outfield. It was really interesting. It was the only, game, the only Braves game I saw this year. I think I have to stop going to Braves games. <laughs> um, the, last four, the last four games that I've attended were the game five, six, and seven of the National League Championship Series where the Braves lost to the Dodgers. And then my first game back, I go, I go and I see Ronald Acuna tears ACL live in Miami. So um, it was awful. It was really it was painful. I almost started crying. I was actually sitting with a friend of mine who's an emergency room doctor and th- uh, four other doctors. Uh, and as it happened, I literally saw it happen. I go, yeah, he tore his ACL. And these four doctors looked at me like, what are you talking about? How can you tell? Because we were in the third baseline and this happened in the right field corner. And I'm like, no, he tore his ACL. They're like, nah. And like, literally, I, 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 I saw it happen. I'm like, that's an ACL tear. And it, uh, uh, unfortunately, I was right. So the Braves had a lot of work to do. Our offense already, I thought, had a lot of holes in them. And I'm really happy to see, actually, after the fact, Jack, I'll tell you, I'm happy the way to see the way they did it. I think I thought that originally they were going to try to make a, you know, kind of like the, what the, uh, the Red Sox said, where they're just like, let's get shorter, like just get this one piece, right? But I actually think the way they did it makes way more sense because the team, we needed to uh, do it by the aggregate, right? So we end up, the Braves end up going, going and get Jorge Soler from the Kansas City Royals. Um, they went and got uh, Jack Peterson, obviously, from the Cubs. They went and added um, a couple other small pieces that, you know, are ours highly heralded. Uh, um, Eddie Rosario from the Cleveland Indians, who's still not playing, but he'll be back soon. Uh, added Adam Duvall from the Marlins. Um, I think that, that makes the lineup longer because I think you had guys kind of hitting in the wrong parts of the lineup. You had Dansby Swanson hitting in the five holes, not really a five-hole hitter. He'll do a lot better in the six, seven, eight spots. 
Um, it makes a line. Why is Jock Peterson leading off? Makes no sense. He was leading off originally, and I think Snicker, um, Brian Snicker, the manager for the Braves, will probably make some adjustments wisely as as he as um, a lot of these guys start coming back. Tra- Travis Starno just started a minor league re- uh, rehab assignment this week, so he should be back hopefully, barring setback in a week or two. Um, I think the lineup's going to get a lot longer and a lot better. Um, and all things considered, my cap is off to Alex Anthopoulos. I always am a little bit critical of the Braves um, management's um, unwillingness to go all in, right? You have a team that was a win away from the World Series last year, and it always seems like they're trying to clip a little bit on the coupons in terms of finances. But I think all things considered with, you know, losing Acuna, losing Marcel Zuna, having Mike Soroka not be able to come back from injury, losing your best pitcher in the first half, uh, Oscar Hanoa, just a, a myriad of injuries and, and, and missteps that I think where they are now, like you said, two and a half games out of first place behind a Mets team who I got to tell you, I'm surprised didn't add more. I know they got Baez. Yeah. I know they got Rich Hill. Um, I know they added a couple pieces, but Trevor I, I Williams, Trevor Williams for the pirates. I think they could, I, I'm surprised they didn't do more. I thought they were going to be the, the big splash makers. I actually thought that I thought either the Mets. Well, I, th- I was surprised. I should say I was surprised the Mets and the Phillies. Neither of them added more. Phillies went well, in and they got a the, couple pitchers. The but. Phillies make less sense because the Phillies are in that shuffle, and the Phillies already have some huge money. You know, that's committed. Um, not to say the Mets don't, but they don't have that new ownership. Like Steve Cohen's here, like he's ready to go, and they're in first place. And the Mets are in first place despite being. You know, the Braves had injury woes. Don't, the Mets injury woes are second to none, really, in baseball. Um, so I thought that, you know, they would be really positioned to go aggressive and stay ahead and not let anybody play catch up. But um, I think that down the stretch here, there's a chance the Braves can remain competitive. And I think the NL East is going to bounce back. And um, I think the Phillies, you know, I think they made a couple nice deals. I think Kyle Gibson's a really nice addition for them. Um, I think they needed help in the starting rotation. Um, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting three, three team race. Um, I was surprised to see the Nationals sell the way they did. I think it was the right move. I, I think if, we, if you remember our NL East preview, we did. I had them, I had them, I had them at number four to go into the season. I remember I told you, I didn't expect much from the Nationals this year. Um, and, uh, they ended up, uh, they ended up just kind of looking themselves in the mirror and saying, all right, let's just, let's just do this. And they, I, you know, I, I, I'm surprised they traded the guys they did. I'm surprised they didn't hold on to Max Scherzer or Trey Turner and stuff like that, but they did it, you know? I'm glad you mentioned the Red Sox and what they did. They they went and they got Schwarber, and they've now lost five games straight. They're no longer in first place. The Rays swept them over the weekend. Uh, let's, so the Rays now have a one-game lead. Uh, it should be a tight race the whole way, but – the Red Sox have now had seven straight games where they have not had a start starting pitcher pitch into the sixth inning. So I don't really know what the Red Sox are doing, why they're not going after, why they didn't boost their pitching staff. Oh, that was the bigger need. That was puzzling. That was definitely puzzling to me. I think the Red Sox are, I think they are intelligently understanding what's happening. They weren't, Listen, going into this season, I don't think they believed they would be in this position. If you look at the composition of that roster, um, they're on the heels of just trading Mookie Betts, right, for Verdugo. And they weren't fully rebuilding, but they were kind of retooling or reassessing. And I think they came a little bit – their success came a little quicker than they anticipated. 
that starting rotation has clear flaws. Um, it's, it's, you know, that's not a championship level rotation in my opinion. Yes. Chris sales, you know, on his way back, but you don't know what version you're going to get a Chris sale at this point <clears throat> with the mileage he's had, the injuries he's had and his age. Um, so I think the Red Sox were just, I think what they did was kind of intelligent about not overextending themselves. Like it's not like their windows closing. They weren't expecting to compete so quickly. Um, I kind of liken it to where the Braves were in 2019, where they had won their first, or I'm sorry, 2018. They'd just come off a rebuilding process. They just started to have some success, but it wasn't the time to go all in yet because they were still going through that cycle. Now, if the Red Sox do this for another year, year and a half, two years, and now they're in 23, right, and they had a really good year this year, let's say they go deep in the playoffs next year, and then they have a bunch of guys who are primed, that's when you strike is when you're that close. I don't think they're that close, and I think they're smart enough to know that. The Red Sox have always been a very intelligently ran organization. So I think they know that even if they went and got, you know, one big arm, I don't think that's a team that's really going to do it in the postseason. I think there's a lot of other teams that are ahead of them. So I think they were wise to not I think they were wise to not over leverage their future and mortgage their future for what I think is a team that'll get into the playoffs and maybe get in get you know win one round but to me that's not a championship caliber team right now i think i think you're right on that i think you make a lot of sense it's interesting to look at the al east because the yankees are basically putting all the chips in and once again they don't have a great pitching staff that's still a problem with them and they're doubling down on more power bats now they do have they did add a couple of lefty bats that right field wall is so short they should have they should have way more lefty bats in that lineup they should have already had that but, Albert, I'm curious, with the Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays, how would you rank those three teams here in the second half? Because the Rays, I think, are the clear favorite to win the division at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's really interesting. It's, um, I actually think the Yankees are closer to being in that window than the Red Sox are, despite the standings, right? And I think you see the pressure from the media and from, um, even the number of the way the moves were made, right? The, the Yankees added like they were the Red Sox part of the standings, right? Yeah. They went and got Andrew Heaney, they went and got Joey Gallo, they went and got Anthony Rizzo. Um, I think that there's more pressure on the Yankees than there is on the Red Sox because the Red Sox weren't expecting to be here. The Yankees were expected to run away with that division, not run away, or at least be competitive with the Rays. So um, I th- I think the Yankees will play better. I think that as they get healthier and now they've added a little bit more balance to that lineup, um, their outfield has been, you know, their center field uh, production this year has been really bad. Um, Brett Gardner's, you know, is in the latter stage of his career. Um, <clears throat> other than Judge, they haven't had a lot of consistency from a lot of different spots in the lineup. Luke Voigt hasn't been able to come back uh, to be fully healthy. Uh, LeMahieu kind of had a little bit of a hiccup in the early part of the season. Uh, Glaber Torres has not been himself this year. I think they're going to play better in the second half in the in the last what, fifty game run we have here. I don't know if they have enough pitching wise, especially now since Garrett Cole has not been Garrett Cole since the sticky substance crackdown. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, but and the bullpen hasn't been as dominant as in years um, recent years. Um, that said, I think they have enough offensive talent to compete and do well. And I think there's enough pressure there to do well. Um, the Blue Jays are really the Blue Jays are really cool, man. I like I like the way they're assembling their team. They're 
they're scary. They kind of remind me of what the Astros did like five years ago. They have all these young position player talent. They're adding a veteran piece here and there in the rotation. You know, I look at like Hunji Ryu is kind of like what Dallas Keiko was for them for the Astros in like 2015 is like that veteran lefty. You know, they went and go, they went and got George Springer's the veteran bat to kind of bring some stability. That's kind of what the Astros did when they brought in like, you know, uh, Carlos Beltran towards the end of his career. Um, that's a scary team. And Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr., man, this guy's this guy, this is the guy that we expected to see when he was the number one prospect in baseball two years ago. He's in shape. He is a monster. He is, I mean, this is a this is his premier as a right-handed bat as you're gonna get. I mean, this is a young Miguel Cabrera, basically, is what we're seeing uh production-wise <clears throat> from Vlad Jr. So that's a team that I think if their front office doesn't get too ambitious timeline-wise and continues to grow. Um, can be very good. I love their deal, by the way. I love their Austin Martin for Jose Barrios deal. Unbelievable, unbelievable deal for them. Austin Martin's a really nice, talented player out of Vanderbilt, not selling him short. But if I look at the composition of that team, he's kind of blockading. He's a utility right-handed hitting guy who's blocked at a bunch of different positions. He's blocked by Bob Bichette. He's blocked by Kevin Bijou. He's blocked by Guriel. He's blocked at a lot of different places. And you're able to flip him and bring back a guy like Jose Barrios, who's a prime, you know, number one, number two type guy to, you know, a, a team that's really desperate for starting pitching stability. I love that move. I think that move alone could really help them take a step forward. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're here at this point next year in August of 2022 talking about, man, the Blue Jays are just, are they going to win it all this year? Like that's, I can see them putting up 105 uh, win season next year. Yeah, I'm glad you say that because not just talking about the future, but talking about now, if there's one team in this division, or at least of those three that I buy stock in, it'd be the Blue Jays because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in we'll see how this ends up working. But run differential, if you look at the run differential of these three teams, the Yankees are a plus six. So that's, you know, not really anything significant. Boston's at a plus 46, which you would think – for the number of runs that they score, it'd probably be a little higher than that. The Blue Jays are a plus 109, which is third in all of the American League. So if run differential, if you're able to equate that to wins, which maybe you maybe you maybe you believe in, maybe you don't. I mean, we have to balance all these things as we kind of figure out the future of baseball. But I do think that there's something to this thing that run differential over the course of 162 is a valuable metric. Now, when it comes playoff time, I don't I don't trust run differential because run differential could mean that a team puts they have a lot of games where they just, you know, put up 10 runs and they have other games they put up one. But I think over the course of 162, the <clears> average <throat> of that ends up being something quite good. So I I'm I would take them over the the Yankees and the Red Sox even though the Red Sox have a six-game lead on them at this point. Yeah, this no, year. I, I, I agree. And I think to your point about run differential, um, I, I am a believer in run differential for as a as a um, metric that can tell you what team will be good over the course of a season. I agree with that, and I think that it'll it balances out the difference between the playoff. The difference between postseason baseball and regular season baseball is very simple. In the postseason, you are only facing the elite of the elite arms. You're facing every team's best guy. Granted, a lot of these guys are still a little bit. 
you know, can be worn down due to injuries, but you're not facing that number four or five starter, that middle guy, the long man of the bullpen. You're facing all the feature guys. Whereas in the course of the season, there's teams that might put up nine runs, like you said, or 10 runs against a fifth starter and not their best relievers, but you're not seeing those guys in the playoffs. So in the playoffs, you need feature pitching that can shut down uh, quality offenses and you need hitters that can hit well against really good pitching. So um, I don't know if the Blue Jays are going to be able to overcome the Red Sox and the Rays and the Yankees this year. I don't know. But like you said, if I could buy stock in a team over the next five, even with the Rays plethora of young talent coming up, which we're just starting to see with like Wander Franco just breaking into the big leagues, Luis Patino coming in, Shane Bass is coming, McClan- Shane McClanahan's there. Like even with all that youth that the Rays have coming up, I still think the Blue Jays to me are the scariest team. Them and the White Sox really are the two scariest teams to really be worried about in the next five years. Yeah, I'm big on the White Sox this year as well. I love what they did with that bullpen. I think they're really. I mean, they're they're my, they're able to go in on this year, but not give up too much for the future. So I like what they did there, Albert. I know you got to run here in a second, so I got one last thing. I'm curious, and then if you have anything you want to bring up, I'll give you a chance to do so. The National League. This is kind of the talking point on MLB Network today. I was really interested. It was they're running through all the shows. Who's gonna be the NL MVP? Because if you go back a co- just one month, you say your top three guys are Tatis, Acuna, and DeGrom. They're all injured. And Tatis, this is the thing with him, is he does get injured quite a bit, unfortunately, because we love watching him play. He's great for the game. He's awesome. DeGrom might not pitch for another month, and Acuna's done for the year. So who should we be looking at for that NL MVP here over the next two months? Well, we got a quarter of a season left, and uh, the the good news is there's a bunch of races that are really close, and I think that the way these races shake down will have a big impact on that MVP conversation. I agree. I think Fernando Tatis probably a month ago was the, our leading candidate, right? Um, and I'm not sure the nature. I think he went down with a shoulder injury again, but I'm not sure of the severity of that. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the teams that makes a late-season run – um, there's a correlation between that and an MVP winner. So, for instance, my boy Freddie Freeman, our national, our reigning MVP. Hey, if the Braves all of a sudden go out here, well, by the way, the Braves just set a record for most consecutive games in baseball history without a consecutive win or loss. Was it 16 uh, or 17? I think we just hit 17. Now, there, there was a suspended game in there with the Padres that we have to restart, so I'm not sure how that affects it. But the Braves have been teetering in that back and forth, back and forth. And when Ronald Acuna went down, Freddie Freeman was quoted as saying, well, it's now it's my turn to put this team on my back. And he's done exactly that. I mean, he uh, Freddie was hitting in the 220s and somewhere in the middle of May, which was very, very rare for him. But his exit velocities were right in line with what he's done his whole career. He's a free agent, by the way. Nobody really talks about it. But Freddie Freeman's a really he's – a, he's a feature player who's age 31 seasons, going to be a free agent here. I can see Freddie sneaking in there if he puts the Braves on his back and, you know, you look at what the Dodgers have done. They've won by the aggregate. They really haven't had, you know, Mookie Betts has been injured. Cody Bellinger hasn't been Cody Bellinger. Um, they have, they've had a lot of good contributors. Um, same thing with the Giants. The Giants have had a lot of good players, but they don't have one guy carrying the team. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if those, if somebody who puts the team on his back like a Freeman – 
Um, you know, maybe somebody in the NL Central, um, you know, I think the Brewers are led by those, you know, the, their pitching has really been their calling card. They're not really an offensively geared team. So, um, Freddie, it's going to be hard for me to pick against my boy Freddie Ben. I think he's going to be, I think he might quietly, just you look at the numbers, just check the numbers, Jack, when you have a second. Freddie's sneaking in. Oh, I looked at him, Albert. Quiet. I was looking at him the other day and I was like, wow, he's already back up to 290. How did that happen? He must be on fire. Oh, and- yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think all the points you make are great. Uh, Willie Adamas could make it. There could be a case for Willie, Willie Adamas. Adamas. Sne- Willie Adamas is a sneaky guy who people won't talk about. Hey, even – it doesn't happen very often, but Chris Bryant, if he if he's on fire and the Giants win that division and, and, and hold off the Dodgers and hold off San Diego, like, he could be a dude. He could be – you know, he could be a guy that, you know, that, that could be like, you know, and what a, what a case for Scott Boris and him going into his uh, – uh, first, uh, you know, winter free agency. Uh, if he, if Chris Bynes goes on fire and wins a, uh, an MVP, um, so there, there's some there's some interesting storylines, and um, <clears throat> just I, I'm hoping that the you know there's the injuries. That's that's the one thing that this season man's been a little difficult. There's been so many injuries up and down the board. I don't think I can remember a season in baseball with as many. Feature players being injured and just injuries up and down the board. So do you think that's a product of the fact that they didn't play 162 last year and now they're back to playing 162? You know, I've heard people speculate that. I don't know. Baseball's a grind. You play six games a week for, you know, months, so many months from if you count spring training through the postseason. I don't know what it is. A lot of them have been really interesting injuries. I hear a lot of oblique and hamstring and muscle pulls. Excuse me. Um, but there have been some weird freak injuries, man. There's guys who've broken their hand. Corey Seager just came back from broke, breaking his hand by after getting hit by a pitch. Um, you know, there's been a lot of weird injuries. Um, I don't know exactly what the reason is, but I hope that moving forward, teams stay healthy because, you know, look what happened in the NBA playoffs. Like, you know, I'm not a huge NBA guy, but the, I feel like the playoffs were affected because so many of the players and the big names were gone. Quiet Leonard goes down for an injury. Uh, James Harden goes down with injury, Ir- uh, Kyrie Irving, all these big guys that you're expecting to see on the limelight on the big stage aren't there. That hurts the game. You know, our best player in baseball, Mike Trout, hasn't played baseball in a long time, and that's bad for the game, especially when, you know, there's guys like Shohei Otani and other guys who could make, te- you know, those teams super interesting and super compelling, but it hurts when they don't have their- those big names with them, you know? Yes, you are correct, Albert, and I know you got to run. So, is there anything baseball related that you wanted to get to today that we didn't get to? Um, I'm curious to see how this post uh, sticky substance thing is going to affect the just the way the, the end of the season goes down. I think we've seen some guys have some uh, worse than stellar results since the crackdown has happened. You Darvish, by the way, you Darvish was, you Darvish and, has been the reason I pointed out the reason I, the only reason I bring it up to single out you Darvish is because he accused Christian Yelich of cheating. And so the fact that there was video of him pressing his finger up against the glove, he was clearly doing it. And now since they, they put out that issue of, Hey, we're going to be cracking down on this. His last 11 starts. ERA over five. Just just putting that out there. Yeah, he, he's he's been a guy, and it's interesting. Major League Baseball is going to have to solve this, man, because what happened with Tyler Glass now is, to me, it was an absolute travesty. Uh, I think reports just came out that Glass now is going to be done till 2023. Yep, which is, Tommy which John. Is, which is a shame because now he's gone half the season 
all of next season back in 23. And I mean, you could tell the sincerity from Jack when he was giving that interview of like, dude, I'm used to throwing a baseball this way. Everyone in the league is playing by effectively the same rules. They dropped this on us midseason. All of a sudden now, you know, I have to hold the baseball in a way I've never held it. And it literally just ends up affecting his, his elbow to the point where now this guy's career is largely affected. And to me, that's awful. Um, I think that, you know, baseball needs to address the situation in a way in the winter that's, you know, both fair to the pitchers, fair to the hitters, and keeps in mind the health of our athletes and our sports. So, um, you know, I heard a great a great idea by somebody who's getting a little bit of difficulty now in Trevor Bauer with his whole situation, but he had this whole conveyor belt thing where they bring out the baseballs and they're pre-done in a way that's, you know, what do you call it, um, kind of you know, within the rules. Because, you know, you can't just throw a baseball out of out – of, people understand. You can't just throw a baseball out of the packaging and be ready to go in a game. Also, you know, they do rub the games up, the balls up with Mississippi mud before the game, but by the time they put them out, they're kind of dry. So they got to find a comfortable medium. And I hope that baseball does something to solve this moving forward because you can't have the guys using too much stuff and overpowering hitters, but you can't have them using nothing and now they can't throw the ball or they're affecting how they throw and have injuries. We got to find a middle ground. So I'm hoping that. If for the rest of the season, hopefully it becomes a lesser storyline. They find some resolution going into the next collective bargaining agreement because that's going to be the big thing. It's coming into the next one. This is have they have to they have to figure this out because otherwise it's going to really damage the quality of the game and the health of a lot of our players. I don't want to think too much about what's going to happen this winter because it's going to be a long negotiation between these two sides. We're going to end up with the DH in the National League, which I hate. We might end up with more playoff teams, which I also don't like. So I'm just, I think, I think you make a lot of sense, Albert, but for now, I'm just going to enjoy the product we have on the field. It's been great. Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping we go back. Listen, I, I got to tell you, I was a little bit, I was very anti the DH in the NL, very anti. It wasn't that bad last year. What I don't love, I don't love the extra inning rule, and I don't love the. I'm on the fence about the seven inning doubleheaders. I, I could. I think those are both. It sounds like both of those are uh, are going to return normal. We're not going to have that anymore. The extra inning rule or the extra the seven inning doubleheaders. But it sounds like they're really going to the the DH is inevitable. That's going to happen. I think it's. I think we're we're looking at a DH world moving forward. But I, if they expand postseason, only add two more teams or don't go all the way to eight because then you devalue the importance of the regular season. And that's part of right. what makes baseball great is these big series, the importance of winning the division. And that's what I talked about our trade deadline show the other day is the fact that we had this awesome trade deadline is because only five teams in each league make postseason. Right now, the Cubs and the Nationals would only be a couple games out. They wouldn't have been able to sell off their entire teams like that if they're only two games out of a postseason spot. And while I know they want, they say that like, oh, it's anti-competitiveness and they want more teams going for it. Like, I'd rather just have the really good teams going for it. And then the teams that, that aren't good, Not to say get out of the way, but right now we just have such a great race and you got a lot of really good teams in the American League. I think it's great how it is right now. I don't buy the anti-competitiveness thing. I think it's more about more money, more teams. I also think think like just, you know, from a just look at it from this standpoint. Baseball's a game, right? 
games are meant to be competitive and strategic. And I think that when you have too many teams getting in the playoff, it actually takes away some strategy because look what happened this year. Teams like the Nationals and the Cubs who are, and other teams who are in the middle, they had to Marlins. make a strategic the Marlins had to make a strategic decision whether to be buyers or sellers. Now that makes their front office. Like if your team gets off to a bad start, you can actually make strategic moves to improve yourself down the road. And the teams that operate that middle ground better will inevitably have success down the road. If you look at what the Pittsburgh Pirates did a couple of years ago in the Chris Archer deal, they were in that middle ground and they decided to go add Chris Archer but what they do? They traded Tyler Glasnow. They traded Austin Meadows. They traded Shane Baz. And now they're like, you know, they're that's an albatross of the deal. But they missed. They made a mistake in a strategic moment. And that's, and I and I agree with that. I think that the, the franchises that run better and handle those strategic opportunities more effectively should be rewarded or punished. And that's what I think is interesting. Yeah, and you also bring up a great point because what's to stop the team? So at this point, as it's as it is right now. The Cubs had no, they had an incentive to go for it at the start of the year because it's like, all right, we're going to see what we got. If we end up, if things don't go well, then we sell. If they go, if they do go well, then maybe we buy a little bit. Now, if you, it's like you have to make that decision earlier. And so it's like, well, you know what? We just won't try at the start of the year. Like, I think it's going to make teams less competitive out of the gate because they, if they want to be able to sell, they're going to have to be bad in order to get there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that I think that baseball people will always give them a chance. Like, listen, beginning of the year, a lot of people would have thought the Giants would be sellers at this point, right? But look, they're in first place in an incredibly difficult division. So I think sometimes that, that, and that to me is part of the strategy. You let your team play. You see how what happens. You never know what teams are upstarts or what teams are disappointments. And then you make a reevaluation. I think every time you add a different layer of decision point, right? You have to make a decision point here, here, and here. There's off-season moves. There's mid-season moves. You know, there's late-season moves. It's um, like Survivor. Exactly. <laughs> the more layers of decision-making, in theory, the better-run organizations will thrive in the long run, which sometimes as a Braves fan can be a little little, little painful because we've been known to make some missteps. Um, I love our GM. I think Alex Anthopoulos is a great general manager. Um, I don't love all the times what our on-field manager does, and I don't love all the time what our – um, what the you know Time Warner Group does with the finances, but that's what part of being a fan is is, ne- is navigating what the team does for you, the moves that make you happy, the moves that make you sad, and you know seeing how they all shake out. Well, Albert, this was a lot of fun to have you back here. So why don't you tell everyone before we let you go? Why don't you tell everyone how they can find your podcast and everything you're working on over there? Yeah, guys, please, if you if you enjoyed um, you know our talk today, uh, we have a lot of fun on my show. It's called It's Not Polite to Ask. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts, basically anywhere you can get podcasts. Uh, pretty soon we're going to be on a, on a YouTube uh, channel as well with a little bit of video. It's myself and my co-host, Brandon Shaw, discussing um, some Interim co-host. Interim co-host, yes, discussing some fun uh, dating topics and some lighthearted stories from our lives, and we just try to keep it short and fun and sweet. So I uh, would appreciate if you guys checked us out. It's called It's Not Polite to Ask, um, and I'm sure Jack can tell you we have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. It's always a fun time. It's always funny. Uh, and Albert, this is a lot of fun. We'll have to do this again in a couple months for the postseason, I think. 
Postseason. Count me in for postseason. the postseason. Hopefully we have a little tomahawk chop in there. <laughs> Absolutely. And he is at zero underscore votes on Twitter as well. Is it the same for your Instagram? Yeah, just uh, at the word zero underscore to votes. Okay. Zero votes. It's not political. All right. Thank you, Albert. This is a lot of fun. Cool. Thanks so much, Jack. Have a good one. All right, bud. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. So we are done recording for today. I want to thank you all for tuning in. This was a lot of fun. Great having Albert here on the show. Uh, always a good time with him. Always good time talking some baseball with the nephew of Arrestus Destrade. And so uh, we will be back sometime next week talking more baseball, talking more sports, talking sports movies. Until then, however, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Show, and sign on to my site, jackvita.com. Until then, however, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters. <laughs>